Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to the Be Fabulous podcast, episode eight. In this episode, we'll teach you to listen for the thinking levels and we'll teach you to adapt your communications and behavior to whichever level the other person or the conversation is in. And Vicky will set yet another personal challenge. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Be Fabulous with Vips and Vicky. So far in this series, we've touched on uh, the five thinking levels, and it's our new way of thinking about strategy. We describe why the word strategy is so overused and how to break down your thinking into five different thinking levels and how to stretch yourself into higher levels of thinking so you're not always operating in a way that's very tactical or operational. We've also touched on three examples to bring it to life and how to move from operational to structured, the hardest shift to make. And what we're gonna do today is touch on how do you now adapt to the thinking levels of others? That's where the magic kicks in. So with that, Vips, hi. Hello again. So anything that you want to share before we dive into tactical thinking, if we start to see that from another's perspective, how do we respond quickly? Yeah, so kind of where we're, the reason why I wanted to do this one as a podcast, we were talking about it off, off air, so to speak. And it's, uh, it's quite a heavy subject. It's, it's, you know, it started off quite conceptual and quite, quite hard to wrap your head around. And for many people, you know, if you've, if you've been kind of uh, brought up and done some formal sort of studying on systems thinking, it's much easier to wrap your head around. But, but to be honest, most people that we come across haven't. Um, or if they have, it, it's in a very, very superficial way. So, you know, I, I really thought it would be helpful. And I think you agreed that we've got we to find a way to help. You know, if, if people are hearing that their boss or, their, or someone in their team is thinking at a particular level, then what should you do? Like, like how do you even, you know, how, how do you not blow them away by engaging with them in, a, in effectively a different language. You know, I, I put it into, if someone's asking you a question in English, you probably don't want to respond in Swahili. And, um, <laughs> and I think that's a, that's a really interesting way of looking at it because I think when, I mean, I, I've been told in the past that, you know, um, I thought we were having a conversation at this level. You've gone into X level. Now I don't really understand what you're going on about. And it, for them, you know, for, if, if you don't know how to listen and adapt in that environment or engage in that, in that, at that thinking level, I mean, you may as well be speaking a different language. And, and I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. So I thought we just use this podcast as a way of um, bringing you know, a little bit more of a how-to. Well, it makes me think of a practical scenario that I hear time and time again from my coaching clients, and I'm sure you do too. It's how do I, how do I take others on the journey? I've been told I need to take others on the journey with my, my thinking and how I've reached the conclusion I did. And that means I could be thinking at tactical, I could be thinking operational structures, probably those three. I mean, maybe yeah. I'm talking at systemic, but, but they're usually as you get more senior, the, 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 and especially for people who are highly intelligent and are very quick at coming up with a solution, it's not always easy to wind back and realize that you have the curse of knowledge. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you know yeah. some stuff. And once you know something, it's very hard to unknow it. So how do you take others on the journey with you? So today's podcast is going to dive into keeping up with others so that they can follow you and you can you can respond to them appropriately so that you can help them with where they are and take them where you need them to be. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about your intro. I know this is a slight digression, but I was thinking about your intro. And you know what? I do agree with you. I think the operational to structured is probably the hardest shift to make. But I do think people have a very similar painful reaction going from systemic to meta. Because that one is when you are, you know, meta is when you really are making value-based decisions on the basis of the person that you want to be. This is when this is when you're making decisions despite what the data is telling you, because that's the world you want to live in. That's the that's the person that you want to be. I mean, the person that you want to be is really, really directly correlated to what the data is telling you. <laughs> that's, you know, and so I think, um, you know, just as you were talking, I was like, you know what, um, we should probably, as we, as we go through this uh, series, you know, we should probably do some kind of like, you know, which one's harder, the operational to structured or the one to meta? And I suspect it depends on where you are in your life and in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, but yeah, so um, kind of with that, we should probably just kick off with the first one, really. And um, Well, before you do that, it made me think of a meditation I was listening to this morning. So I'm listening to the Calm app. And uh, this guy was talking about the thing that gets him is our lives are a result of our actions and our habits and our beliefs that we live day to day. And when you really think about that, it sucks yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we can complain about the, the environment we're in and the situation we're in, but it's, it's a result of, of the things we do day in and day out and our, our habits and our beliefs. And we don't want to admit that all the time. And, these thinking levels are an interesting way to dive into that because we might be very comfortable operating tactically and not being able to raise ourselves up beyond that. But to get to those levels like meta, where you are starting to think about what is the world you want to live in and are you creating that world through your actions, your habits, your beliefs? That's a, yeah. that's an uncomfortable place for many yeah, people to go. Yeah, I, I, I'll bring it really home. On a, on a, I mean, I had a conversation with an anthropologist earlier this week and as you do this as i do yeah <laughs> um, and, and you know it was it was very interesting when i was talking to her because she was saying you know and, and we were just reflecting on on you know w- you know what's going on around black lives matter right now and in the collective consciousness to to take another stab at trying to eradicate racism um or at least systemic racism through you know various parts of society and and you know from an anthropological point of view uh, i mean she just made the point that you know, these are, we as a species are going to be struggling with this for hundreds of years. Um, it's not an easy solution, meaning it's going to be, you know, those things have evolved over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and they will take hundreds and hundreds of hundred years to de-evolve effectively, or not de-evolve, but, but evolve into something else. And, you know, while, so we should look at opportunities like the ones we have to accelerate and catalyze action at the, if you like, the op- operational, structured, and systemic level, so that hopefully the next generation of kids, if you will, right, go up more, if you will, colorblind, okay, much more, uh, I think the right phrase, the right phrase is anti-racist now, right? And and then really what happens is you just wait for the rest of us to just die off, right? And that's really how you, that's, a, that's, 
but but that's a very meta thing, right? We are making a meta decision to do something like that, and and it's and it's hard for that to correlate to you know maybe structured or operational or tactical things. Yeah, it's it's, it's coming from a place of our soul. Well, yeah, because because tactically and operationally, you can write you can roll that you know unconscious bias training and and look at your diversity numbers and things like that but that only goes so far that doesn't change the the system and values of who each person is and what they stand for yeah which doesn't mean those things shouldn't happen it's just yeah it's just you know you just recognize it's a leaky bucket right and you're gonna get (laughs) some of it's some of the water's gonna make it but a lot of it's gonna leak out and you're gonna have to go back i mean it's a you know it's a true you know it's a true you know ultra marathon Every day. Beyond 25-year yeah. marathon, 100-year yeah. marathon. But, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't work on it. But let's, um, let, let's uh, you know, after that very interesting segue, we should probably pull us back into, uh, into what, how do we do it? How, how do we adapt to others? So I'm going to ask you to do the first one. So let, let's, say, let's say, Vicky, I'll, I'll create a scenario for you, okay? So, you know, I'm at work. I'm in a startup. I mean, it's a relatively entrepreneurial environment. There's 20, 30 people there. Everyone's doing kind of everything. So everything feels tactical, right? Everyone's kind of running around like pseudo headless chickens, doing lots and lots of stuff. But but you know that you're trying to prove a minimum viable product. You're trying to get to market quickly. And so you know that really you're you're predominantly operating in the tactical zone, okay? On on a day-to-day basis in, in your team, okay? So if, you, if you're experiencing that you're in, in, a, in a place of disproportionately tactical thinking, so how sh- what should I do? How should I communicate if I'm in that? How, how do I react to that? Well, what are some tips you can give me? Well, the number one thing is to make sure that it's, it's actually action-oriented. So if you're trying to get philosophical and, and think about three, five years down the line, it doesn't mean anything in that environment. So everything has to be very day-to-day, uh, solving fires, being very, very action-oriented, really about due dates, next steps, very practical. People need to understand the specific action and when it's required. I and can do this today. To, I can do yeah, this today and everything will exactly, be okay tomorrow. Exactly, exactly. And it therefore means things have to be very concrete, very literal. Uh, no ambiguity, no fuzziness, very specific language. And that also means that we need very short feedback loops. So, um, hey, you know, if we get these tasks done, then it'll mean we can do X. Very, yeah, very if we meet our deadline, we can all go and we can all go to the bars that we're not allowed to go to right now and get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might deliver some feature, and then you know, yeah. we get a bonus. Features down the line, we can yeah. do something more interesting. So, yeah. you can really think of this world as as everything is very now focused, very specific, very literal. And and for those that prefer to operate in a more systemic way, where you like to see the pieces of the jigsaw and how they fit together always operating tactically can be really, really hard. Mm. And so for those types of people who've worked in big organizations, big companies, and they come to a startup, uh, they can find tactical day-to-day thinking extremely frustrating because they know it's only going to get you so far before you have to get into to more of the structured systemic way of, of thinking. Yeah. And vice versa. So, you know, if you are someone who has always worked in startups and uh, you maybe led startups and things are very action oriented. You may hit that next phase where you actually have to start thinking about the systems you need in place to make it more sustainable. And that, that could be something that drives you crazy. And often it's not the best place for the startup CEO to be the one that to take it to scaling and striving yeah. and beyond because they're very different animals. Yeah. 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 I should probably just point out to anyone who's listening to this that 
we don't want to associate tactical with just startups. That was just an example. Like you, you often find, <laughs> you can go to the DMV and you're going to find lots of tactical thinking people working at the DMV. They're, 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 they're thinking very tactically about what they need to do to process the next customer or the next, you know, next tag or whatever it is. So, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to draw a correlation between startup and tactical. It's just you tend to find a lot of tactical thinking in startup land. Uh, you know, what you said was really interesting. Two things that came to my mind. One is when people are communicating conc like concrete and literal, what that means you don't want to do is use too much conceptual language or too many metaphors. Like that, that, that's fun, but it's not helpful if you're tactical. If you're tactical, you, you just want everything to be as clear as possible. Um, I think this also shows up in things like if you have a tactical mindset, you want to know what your job is, what your role is, what, what, the, what your job description says, what your, there's a, there's a, I, I need to stay within the boundaries of what, of what my world is and what I'm expected to do. And that constitutes work. And well, you know, do you find Vicky, I, I'm, I'm curious, like my, my perception is when people are disproportionately intactical, what I experience is they tend to be over attracted to urgency. Did you, is that, is that, does that gel with your experiences too? It, it absolutely is. And it, it feels good from a dopamine perspective. You know, it's, uh, hey, if I, if I send this email and I get something off my plate, I get a dopamine hit. If I, if I help with a particular fire, I get that dopamine hit. So I feel like a hero. So that's another reason it becomes really, really hard to shift from hero mentality cultures to anything that is more team focused, because it feels good. We feel yeah. valued. We feel needed. We feel safe. And during this period of uncertainty uh, through, through COVID and what's going on right now, it, it helps us go back into that space because we feel very, very safe. We like to know that the tactics and the things to do because that's a space where we feel there's action and we feel like we're adding value. Everything else feels a little bit luxury, luxury you can't afford right now. Yeah. But look at it, look at, look at it from a, look at it from a, you know, so many companies that we know have been really good at taking care of their people, not doing furloughs or layoffs and yeah. making other decisions to avoid that. But companies that have had had to do that or restaurants or different industries, when things bounce back, they've now got to rehire everybody. So think about that from a perspective of, okay, you responded tactically to what was needed, literally, because you had to, because of financial implications. But if you're looking at it more systemically, you'd be thinking about, this thing's going to recover. Am I able to ride this wave? Because the amount of pain that I'm yeah. going to have to go through to hire people back, hire new people, integrate them in the team, deal with all the stress that happens with new people joining, getting it wrong. It's just not worth it. Yep. So if you're feeling, um, I'll tell you how people often feel when they're, when they're caught in tactical land, tactical thinking land, is it feels like they're doing a tremendous amount of work, but they don't feel like they're getting anywhere. Like I, I, I equate it, I equate it to running really, really high revs in first gear. So your engine, your engine's about to blow up, but you're not going very fast because, but you're doing lots and lots of things. And I think it's very addictive, but, but the point being, if you're, if you find yourself in that kind of environment, then uh, keep things concrete and literal, absolutely keep everything action orientated and action orientated in a way that has short feedback loops. So you can, you can feel like something that you did worked, um, you know, in, in hours, days and low weeks. Otherwise it's, forget it, 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 won't, it won't register. Just before we move on to operational, uh, you, you made me think of the latest research. So I was looking at what are the hours people are working right now in, in April, we looked at it and it was 30 people working 35% more hours, but 30% less productive. When I looked at it last week, we are 
50% busier than we were pre-COVID and the volume, the productivity is the same. Now that, that fills me with a lot of anxiety when I think about the amount of busyness that we're seeing right now. And we know some of our, some of our clients are, are putting out Zoom resistance. You know, there's certain hours where Zoom is not possible and getting people to think really carefully about how they use their time because we are reaching crazy levels of uh, of busyness right now but we're not really moving things forward in a in a productive way and it's not healthy yeah 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 i i mean that 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 number is uh, mortifying but it's also i think more of a reaction of what happens when a disproportionate amount of the working population if you like shift from chaos into acceptance what that's reflective of is a lot more people are in acceptance so they've decided to either well most of them have decided to endure rather than strive but now you don't have the adrenaline of chaos anymore and so what you're seeing is people kind of just just sort of digging in working hard doing whatever it is they're doing but there's no there's no upside from new normal yet and there isn't the the adrenaline upside the push through upside from the productivity in chaos and so i i think what you're getting is is people settling into something that, that, that they experience as more sustainable. But the problem with that is in order to try to get to a sort of an equi equilibrium level of productivity, it's destroying. Um, people haven't figured out how to be efficient and effective relative to the work-life fusion that that now represents. And that's going to be somewhat of a challenge going forward, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think all of these things from a tactical point of view, are um, we're kind of we've kind of gone up the tree really, but I, th I think from a tactical point of view, it feels a lot more like I just need to get through the next week. I've got twenty seven tasks. I've got twenty seven meetings I have to go through. They're all on Zoom. I, I'm being told to do X. I'm being told to do Y, and that that's what I mean by by the engines going at seven thousand revs and about to blow up. But it's <laughs> but it's still only in first gear, and I, I think it's really forcing it's forcing a level of adaptability that people. I mean, they're struggling with, because I actually don't think that, that, honestly, I don't think most business environments have stepped up to help people through that. I mean, it, and it's not, and I, I don't blame businesses for that. I'm not even sure they know how to diagnose the problem. And, and then on top of that, you know, it's like, oh my God, one more thing above and beyond all the crazy that's going on right now. And so, you know, you either have to be super fortunate, like, like Slack and the Pelotons of the world, where from a business point of view, this is so wonderful what's happening right now that they just can't, you know, they just... They're just selling more and more and more and more. So they, they, they've got the... The revenue. The revenue and the financial safety to be able to take that kind of stuff seriously. But most organizations are going to be, particularly as you get, you know, a couple of quarters of bad financial results, they're going to push even more down into tactical. And it's going to be very difficult to work on anything in a structured or systemic way probably for the next, quite depressing really, probably for the next year or two, I would imagine, maybe even more. Yeah, which is where we're going to start to see more more burnout, more depression. Yep. You know, as people just work longer and longer, they feel less and less safe. There's yep. less and less is moving down the, less and less balls are moving down the field. We're also going to see more, you know, more people affected by unemployment, you know, directly, you know, friends, family, whatever. But then you're also, you know, you're also seeing the uptick in COVID again, right? I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot of reasons why many of the people that we're working with and anyone listening to this when times are good, we, we kind of encourage people to get out of tactical as quickly as possible. It's going to be impossible to avoid being in tactical for your teams or your organizations to be in tactical because, because we're, you know, many are just in survival mode. So a quick reminder then of what to do is keep things concrete and literal. 
make sure they're action oriented with next steps and due dates and provide sh short feedback loops. Yep. So let's step up one. Let's go to operational loops. Tell us about that. Yeah. So operational. So this is kind of, um, you know, where, where I think of operational, this is where when you communicate and when you think you want to be talking more using the language of metrics and goals. What are we going to measure? What's going to be the goal that we're going to measure? What's the KPI or key performance indicator that we're going to, that's going to be impacted by doing X. That's the language of talking operations. Um, this is also where, you know, when you're in operational thinking and a good give a good, good sort of clue, when anyone mentions the word efficiency, you know, <laughs> that's almost a guaranteed. If someone says efficient, they're in operation land. Okay. Because uh, that's what you're trying to do. You're optimizing for efficiency. Um, so, you know, talking the language of efficiency, these are the things we're able to be do more of if we did X. If we make this change, we could be 2% more effective at Y. If we do this, our productivity is going to increase by whatever. Okay. That, that's the, the language of efficiency is, is what you should be using when you're operational. And it is, hopefully people can hear how that language is different from the tactical. It's not, it's, it's a little less action orientated, but it's still, it's still geared towards things that can be done practically, but, but it's one notch above. And the way I would also say is, you know, start, start talking the language of identifying simple problem patterns with quick fixes. We've noticed over the last 10 weeks that um, our teams are really struggling with being on 30 hours of Zoom a week. So the answer for that might be, you know, to use the example you used earlier, Zoom resistance, where you've got, you know, certain days and certain blocks where no one's allowed to hold Zoom, okay? That would be a good operational, simple, practical problem solving that doesn't really cause too much chaos and mayhem. It's going to seem like something that tactically is going to help everyone. I mean, the reality is, I don't know how much that's really going to help, but operationally, it's something you could measure. It starts putting out a statement that, you know, you don't have to be on all the time. You know, so there's, there's goodness in it, but these, that's an operational thing is geared towards, you know, keeping some degree of efficiency and maybe some degree of sanity in that case, um, going against something you can measure very easily. So I always tell people when they're in operational mode or talking to someone who's in operational mode. So this is generally good, a good place to start. If you're talking to middle managers or even sort of junior executives, that's, that tends to operational thinking and operational language tends to be the safe place to go to. Can we afford this? Is it efficient for us to be making that decision right now or that investment right now? Are we able to get budget to do that project now? That's the language you want to be speaking when you're operational. And when you start to look at things like uh, resolving the root cause of, of particular challenges that you're seeing, so the patterns you talked about earlier, you're starting to see the trends, you're starting to see the root causes. For operational, what we're really saying is that you don't want to do anything too complicated. You want to be able to fix the ones that are, are high value, low impact. You don't want to get into the the ones that have a, a huge amount of effort involved. It's it's the, really the ones that require a little bit of effort, but they're going to have high impact that you want to get involved in. This is where when you're in operational thinking, it's very tempting to do things from a check the box mentality. <laughs> yeah. And what I mean by that is, okay, we know we haven't done enough in DNI. Let's roll out a subconscious bias program. And let's get it done as quickly as we can, because this is the time to do it because people are screaming for it. Okay. Now, not to say that's a bad thing, but that's coming from a place of, we need to do something about it right now, because there's a problem tactically, and there's a pattern that's emerged and we need to be doing something. So let's, what can we take on that's 
feasible, practical within some kind of budget reality that we can do now. Yeah. But, but it is a bit of a, you do this thing and you're done. Or it could be, you know, managers having their one-on-ones because, um, hey, I'm doing them every week, every two weeks, having great conversations, but I'm not really growing and stretching my team. I'm not asking them the, the great questions to help them think through the success criteria and help them remove the obstacles. There's no growth there. It's just literally checking the box that, hey, yeah. I have my one-on-one. Right. My one-on-one. That's a brilliant example. I have a client where they're so good about doing their one-to-ones, right? But they're, they're the almost point. like operational one-to-ones. <laughs> yeah, right? they're missing so, the point. So they never get to structured, systemic, or meta because they stay yeah. in tactical and operational. And, yeah. and so every metric says they're doing all the right things, but they're still not getting a sense that they are supporting and growing their people. And I love that one because so often when organizations struggle with this, they force people to do one-on-ones with a, an agenda and very specific outcomes and it's weekly or it's bi-weekly or it's monthly and the one-on-one police come out and <laughs> and, and I've, I've worked with a number of organizations where they become really, really good at it, but no one's really taught them how to grow their team, how to ask great questions, how to build that capability. So they don't really know what to talk to them about right. other than the day-to-day and kind of run out of stuff after a while. Well, I think, yeah, I, and it, but it's also, I mean, if you think about it operationally, operationally, from a business point of view, it's quite risky to get to know someone deeply, right? I mean... Yeah, because you might have to fire them. Well, you might have to fire them. Maybe you learn something about them that is inappropriate, illegal. An HR, an HR a, violation. It'd be an HR, some kind of HR <laughs> violation, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I, maybe their political biases become known. That becomes a problem. Maybe they're... I mean, you know, there, there's, there, there's, so, there's so many... Um, Oh, it's a bit dangerous to talk about that in the working environment kind of thing. Let's better, better stay clear of it. Okay. So we as businesses don't do a wonderful job of, of recognizing that you, you can't really create an environment that creates safety and the ability to talk about everything if you are also thinking about not doing anything that opens you up to compliance risk from a people point of view. There is a, there is a, there's a trade-off a fine there. Line. Yeah, yeah? Fine line there's a trade-off and a fine line there. And most organizations are going to go to the side of managing risk. Yeah, I'll think about it from the, the Black Lives Matter and all the conversations that we've certainly have been facilitating over the last few weeks. They just weren't the conversations in the way we are talking about, you know, people are black, people are white, people are brown, and we're having conversations about what that means as opposed to being very politically correct. We have to go in there and have those real conversations right now. Yeah, but you just think about if you go back pre this wave we're in right now and the challenges we're facing right now, if you'd gone to a, most HR departments a year ago and said, I want to have a conversation about this, they'd be like, yeah. I don't know if you want to touch that. Oh, oh no. it's a bit dangerous. And oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you really want to go there. That could be a bit tricky. I bet be careful what you say. We might get sued, right? You might, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I know I was part of those conversations with clients a year ago. So, you know, but yes, this is a very good example of the social agenda, if you like, the social and political agenda have forced a level of action, operational action that organizations weren't prepared to do, you know, three, six months ago. Yeah. And, but it, you know, it's a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah. From, a fabulous, from a fabulous leadership and creating fabulous organizations point of view, it's a wonderful thing. Um, yeah. It's an accelerant for our cause, that's for sure. Okay, so, so operationally, if you're box checking, not good. <laughs> Go deeper than that and focus on metrics, goals, talk about the language through the lens of efficiency and identify simple problem patterns with uh, quick fixes. 
Beautiful. Take it away for structured, Vicky. Okay, so structured. So if you think about structured, it's it's beyond your team. Now we're talking about cross-team, cross-departmental. So talk in terms of cross-team, cross-departmental solutions and collaboration. And internally, you're thinking about leadership, you're thinking about management, you're thinking about organizational uh, development, organizational design, you're talking about those changes. It's across more than one team. And like we talked about operationally, you're no longer talking about quick fixes. You're now talking about complex patterns and systems and the root cause of trends that take over months or years to change. And so the language you'll start to hear more of rather than the quick fixes is we need a transformation program. We need a program of, of change with a two to three to five year uh, timeline and horizon to get through that. So that you, We need to talking, pivot. We need to pivot. Um, we need to adapt. You know, whatever it might be, it's a very different way of talking. It's not days and weeks. It's 2024, 2025. What is our vision? What is our goals? What's our roadmap to get there? I think adding to that, you're also, this is where the kind of, when you're structured, you're also having the conversations of, is our cost base out of sync with our revenue uh, projections? So you're, 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 you're abstracting really from from your little department or your little world and you're forcing yourself to take a view across the whole enterprise. And this, this, I think, I think the reason why this is such a hard transition to make from operational to structured is because it, this is the first time where how competently you're going to be perceived is going to be, be disproportionately a function of your breadth rather than your depth. And that's the first time really where that gets called out and, and visible. So, you know, I, I, I could know technology inside out, but if I don't understand the value of marketing or the value of supply chain, that would be a real challenge. Um, so on, on that one, if, if you're thinking of it structurally across departments, you're, you're, this, is, this is how you want to talk about it. But you also know that there's no quick fixes in this space. And it's also the power of building relationships. So when you're in the tactics and day to day, it, it feels like relationships are unnecessary. They, they work, they get in the way, they're distractions. When you're in the space of, of structure and structured thinking, you have to have really, really great relationships so that you can get done the thing that you want to get done. Because a lot of people don't like change. They don't like the transformations that need to occur. They may hate the misery of the day-to-day and the status quo that they're in. But the energy it takes to change something they know is enormous and they don't like that. So as you move from tactical to operational to structured in terms of your thinking, but in terms of your career, the effort involved in building relationships needs to move in that direction as well. So you are spending more and more time building relationships so that when the change is moving forward, they're on your side to a greater or less extent. So Vicky, that takes us on to systemic So VIPS, systemic is talking in terms of interactional and interdependencies of complex systems. So the way to think about this is looking from the outside in and what's happening in the industry. So it could be our supply chain systems, distribution systems, healthcare systems, economic systems, political systems. It's the the different dynamics that are occurring beyond your organization that shows that we are ultimately part of some connected whole and not an individual organization that is truly autonomous, as much as we like to think we are. (laughs) It's just not true. And 
you know, you think about what's happening right now with uh, the pandemic. I mean, that is a systemic health issue that is affecting everyone. I would hate to be a restaurant in this industry right now. No one could have foreseen the trauma that this would have placed on the restaurant industry, you know, as an example. You could be one of the best, one of the best in the world, right? You could be making an absolute killing, huge brand, really, really fabulous in what you do. And it doesn't matter when something like this kicks in. Yeah, airlines, hotels, you know, it's a, it's a systemic shock yeah. to the system. That's yeah. no matter how well they were structured, no matter how good they were, no matter how aligned they were, they are in pain because of the interdependencies between those systems. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a great way of um, kind of making it real and concrete. Yeah. And, and so the things to do here is, is really try and predict as best as you can um, what's going to happen in the future, you know, the future con conversations, the longer term progress in terms of years and decades and centuries. It's, it's thinking in that way, not about the specific actions that you need to do right now. It's not execution focused. And it's as best as possible looking at trends over the last 50 years, 100 years, and seeing that in the context of what we're dealing with right now. So with racism as an example, you know, it might feel like two steps forward and one step back, but in the biggest scheme of 100 years, we've actually, we are moving forward as slow as it seems. Yeah, it might not feel it, might not feel it. It might not feel great when you're living through it, but you're right, over a long period, you can see the progress. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, this one, um, <clears throat> Yeah, you know, just to add, just to kind of add to some of the things you were saying. Um, I, I also think there's a cultural dimension to this. Like, um, you know, some cultures are much more comfortable with the idea of thinking in very long periods. You know, when I, when I, you know, I was in, you know, I was in China last year and I was, uh, and they, they really do think in terms of 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, you know, in the way, in a very open way. You can have a, you know, I was having a conversation with, with an English-speaking guy who happened to be on a train that was that was that was actually part of the government there, and you know as you do you strike up a conversation with random strangers, and uh, <laughs> and and it was just it was just really interesting to me that that his entire sort of discourse now whether you agree with it disagree with it whatever you know he he was he was talking about how they look at what they're doing through the lens of the next fifty years the next hundred years, and and even from a business point of view there's you know. It feels like there's disproportionately less energy spent on the next quarter, and the next six months, and the next twelve months, and a lot more, a lot more, relatively speaking, energy put on what we would call mid and longer term. I think that's, I think that's a real challenge um, culturally as well. I think Germany does a better job of that as well. You know, I'm picking countries that I and companies that I've worked with in different countries. I think Germany does a better job of having that balance. I, you know, U.S. tends to be a little less, at least in the business client, in the business world, tends to be much more quarter by quarter, um, slightly more short term, you know, what have you done for me lately, kind of results focused. Um, and my, my reason for bringing it up is I, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that, that if, we don't, if we don't tune our systemic norms to the environment we're in, then we could be, we could be lazy. We could have our, you know, our heads in the clouds all the time and not talking about anything that really matters. Yeah. So to me, there's, there's something about um, when I think of systemic, I think of a lot of people who want to be doing strategic, future focused, highly predictive work on what my industry is going to look like, what the world's going to look like. In the US, that's almost like futurism. Mm. Like, let's 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 go to futurism. Um, and, it, and it is complex. 
And what I what I find is most organizations, because they're in that because they disproportionately spend their time in tactical operational and maybe structured, it's like, you know, that's too complicated. You're messing with my karma. I'd rather live in my bubble and hope nothing affects affects me. And it's like I can't, you know, it's too complicated. Uh, it's, it's 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 I don't feel safe going into that space. And so we don't do it. And then and then we forced to react and then, you know, being caught with our pants down, so to speak, um, over and over again. And that's not every, that's not every company or every industry, but, but you do see that a lot. I, I, I noticed that as a big difference when I came to the States from Britain and Britain's not great either. Um, but it's just, you know, it's kind of just worth pointing that out. Yeah. And even if, as you share the example of China, I could start to feel my whole nervous system relax and not because of China, but just the, the sort of long-term thinking because short-term thinking is high pressure. Yeah. It is, it is, you know, make the numbers or, or get out. You know, it's very, you know, here in California, it's at will. You know, hiring and firing is at, at will. So everything is, is very short-term. You're only as good as your last meal. And that puts a lot of stress and pressure on our, on our nervous systems because it's not about the long game. Yeah, there's and definitely also means, health aspects, yeah. And it also means you're taking a lot of short-term decisions over the possible better long-term ones because you aren't able to make that trade-off it's it, yeah. it always over indexes on the, the immediate and well think about think about the big one i mean we we started this whole series if we go back seven episodes with the world's getting hotter flatter and crowded right those are all systemic issues <laughs> they're not they're not they're not structured they're not operational they're not tactical they are systemic the world is getting hotter and you know and that's a global issue i mean at the end of the day if we <laughs> If human life cannot be sustained because it gets too hot, because we managed to burn the surface of the planet, then we're all dead, right? If I'm a company, it's like, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. And why should it be me that deals with that? Why, why, that, that's, you know, government should do something about that. Nation should do something about it. And then, you know, then, so these things get so complicated because they're inherently political. They're inherently complex. They're inherently, you know, um, not solvable by any single entity, if you will which means that progress against them is going to take forever. Um, but, but we like quick fixes, right? We're addicted to quick fixes. I mean, how many times have you, you've worked for clients and it's like, I just need a quick win. Give me a quick win. What can we do this week? What can we do this, you know, this Absolutely. month? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. So, but, you know, we're going to see this now big time with the, you know, with where we are with racism, right? We know it's a systemic problem, whether it's in the criminal justice system, whether it's in employment, whether it's in the education system, right? But, but, but it's, it's like so deeply entrenched, but, it, but, you know, I've had three calls today looking for tactical answers so that people, so that business leaders can go back and say, we did something. What do you, and now I ask the question, you know, what are you looking for? Are you looking, are you looking for something that you can say you've did over the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, or are you really saying that you want to tackle this over the next three years? And they're like, well, what I really want to do is do something now because I'm hurting right now for doing nothing for the last X number of years. So, you know, it's very difficult. And that's not, these are not bad people. These are not, these, these are, in fact, we don't work with bad people. We only work with fabulous people. But it, it just shows how, you know, everyone's trying to balance so many different things just in those first three levels. That it's almost like the luxury of thinking systemic is only available to you if you're massively profitable. Yeah. 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 Or rich. <laughs> just rich, yeah, straight if up you, rich. If you, you know? if you, Bill Gates, and you can try and end malaria or poverty, you know, sure, you, you've you've got you've got the resources to make it happen. So I think you know. I, I guess what it says from a fabulous world point of view is we have to, um, you know, nowhere in the system do we 
do we try to make sure that the people who make billions and trillions are fabulous? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you, yeah. want, you want them to, in an ideal, in my fabulous world, we want those people who want to solve those sorts of problems becoming the billionaires. Um, because so that, their resources that are directed. In the, yeah, their yeah. resources are shared and directed yeah. as opposed to hoarded and taken yeah. out of the system. Yeah. But there's a certain yeah. amount of greed, it seems, it seems to take in order to get to the point where you're able to do that. Right. And I, I guess that's one of the structural, the systemic um, challenges of, of wealth of wealth and how capitalism works, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes, it's making me think about the systemic racism again, because tactically uh, and operationally, you can do the uh, unconscious bias training and roll out your diversity inclusion programs and relook at how you do hiring. And those are all really, really good things to do tactically and operationally over the next weeks and months. And so many of my clients are doing that right now as well, continuing the conversations in their town halls, and that's all good stuff. But to me, it's an end. How do you keep it going beyond just those things so that it's not only sorting out the superficial thing, but that you're actually catching it longer term? And that's where we get to play a role in helping our clients make that shift yeah. and not forget about it, but go deeper. Yeah, you know, you know um, I, you know, I think, um, you know, some practical tips for people. I, I think a lot of people, actually, I think there's a lot of bent up demand for people wanting to talk about systemic issues. But I think what, what it, to me, what it says is if you want to talk about systemic issues, you really have to pick your timing and you have to pick your audience because not everyone can go there or wants to go there or thinks it's appropriate for a particular environment. And I think that's something that, that we're going to see. My, 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 my crystal ball suggests that we're going to see more organizations really trying to figure out how do they bring more of that systemic thinking and conversation into the mix so that you can create those safe spaces and that kind of transparency that seems to elude so many companies. Um, but, but I will say that it's very, very hard to operate and be taken seriously from a systemic point of view unless you've done a good job of building your personal power because you need to be able to talk about complex things that you're not going to be able to agree on. And so if you're not going to be able to agree on them, you know, that can't turn into a, you know, I think Vicky's a terrible person because she doesn't agree with me, right? That, that would be not good, okay? So to have good systemic conversations, you have to be able to really very deeply respect other people from a personal point of view while still acknowledging that you're going to agree to disagree on certain things. And that you can't, you can't really do that in a safe way unless you've invested a huge amount of time in building personal power. And that's another quality of one of our fabulous leaders, Vips. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole podcast in itself, right? <laughs> uh, um, personal power. But uh, I just want to put it out there because I, th I think that's another reason why it's so hard. Like business environments don't easily create the environment for personal power to, we kind of think of it as, this person is just interpersonal, they've got good EQ or whatever. We don't think of it as honing and refining a skill over time. Um, and as a result of that, um, it's kind of like you're not equipped with the tools to engage in systemic conversations. Um, and we, it would be good if we could see more of those going forward. So that's kind of my teaser for a future, for a future podcast. I'm going to throw in one more thought and then we'll talk about meta because I know we need to get to that and then uh, wrap this up. So last week on our Solidarity Hour call, uh, we had Francesca share with us and 
as we were diving into how do we keep these conversations going longer term, one of her key points was we've got to move away from the politically correct talk and talk about what it is. So talk about you know, she's black, I'm white, oops, you're brown, you know, say it for what it is and, and talk about the conversations that need to have be happening all the time. And so one thing organizations are starting to do is to have these reflective conversations where we're saying things as they are, as opposed to being a little weary of going there, which even a week or two ago, we would have been really scared to go there. And uh, I think that's a powerful, powerful shift that I'm seeing that I'm incredibly proud of and excited to be part of. So with that, Vips, talk to us about Meta, because that ties in to a little bit about our values and our philosophies. Yeah, so where Meta is really is, okay, so now you've, let, let's, let's, in this hypothetical scenario, you've, you've wrapped your head around and you're comfortable thinking and communicating and operating at all of these levels. And now you're, you're really in, in the zone of, well, okay, but now I've got to make a choice. Well, am I prepared to put significant money behind fighting racism or fighting sexism or, you know, pick, pick a topic? Or it might be, do I really want an organization that maximizes profits at the expense of screwing up the planet? Right? Or do I really want to meet this quarterly's projections while making, and in order to do so, making 5,000 people redundant? Okay? So this is where you get to judgment. This is where you get to, but I don't want that. I don't want that. That's, you know, even though I understand that that's how it is, I don't want that. And I'm prepared to live with the consequences of making value-based choices, irrespective of what the data is telling me. Yeah? So, so where you get to with Meta is very much based on your own belief system, based on the world that you want to be in, or how you see the world and how you're going to do your bit to propagate whatever philosophy or cho philosophical choices that you think are important. Um, so, you know, I'll give you an example that maybe is heavy, but it's not quite so heavy. It'll provoke a different reaction from a different set of audiences. So American football, it's a big, big, big sport in the US, okay? I never grew up with American football, don't really understand it. Didn't really even understand English football until I was 12, 13, 14, right? So Oops, I still don't. <laughs> okay, but... But it seems to me to make all the sense in the world that banging your head against other people is not good for you, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, okay, so we know systemically we have all the data in the world to say that this kills people, right? As does, as does boxing, you know, as potentially does soccer headering the ball all the time as well, right? We, we don't know. We don't know for sure on that one. We know, we know it has some effects, it's lesser effects, but pick your sport. But at a meta level, it's like, I just love the sport. I, I love it. I want to watch it. I want to watch it on a Saturday afternoon or on a Sunday evening. I want to take my kids to a game, whatever it may be, right? So, so then you're saying, okay, well, you know, at some level, I am, I am I, I, I'm making a values and ethics-based decision that I'm comfortable with myself and my family engaging in that sporting endeavor, knowing that it, it's really unhealthy. <laughs> like, people are going to die as a result of this, right? Now, now, that's kind of what we're doing all the time, right? It's just things become normal. They, they get normalized into, into our cultures and our countries and our environments that we live in. I'm not saying you should change them. I'm just saying that when you're having a conversation at the meta level, right, you're, you're saying, you know, 
Now, I think that's wrong, and we should ban the sport. And someone else is going to say, but you can't ban the sport because of da 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 right? And you end up in... But at the end of the day, it's, I believe it's a good thing, or I believe it's a bad thing, okay? Or meta decisions around, I just believe everyone should have good health care, right? The, you know, that, that's, a, that's a meta choice. Yeah. Systemically, it's all sorts of crazy around how you go about doing that, and there's political differences and God knows what else, right? But, but, but that's when you're operating at meta. So, you know, the way I always go, where I go to this, my, you know, my, my favorite quotes comes up all the time. For me, in my head, when I'm reflecting, is trying to be the change you want to see in the world. It's a Gandhi quote, right? Be the change that you want to see in the world. And, and really, if you're going to be the change that you want to see in the world, it normally means making a meta decision about something. And so the, the reality is I think most people go through live relatively on autopilot, drone-like. And they don't spend that much time. We talk about becoming self-aware and and all of those sorts of things. So anytime we're doing activity that's reflective, self-awareness creating, we are diving into our own meta to help us better understand our, our belief systems, choices, and consequences. And that's what meta is. I, I put it to you, that's really, really, really gonna, it's gonna be super hard for anyone to truly follow you unless people have an understanding of your meta. Because that's what they trust and that's what they follow in the end. And that's, that is scary for some people to really share, firstly, to even think about what they stand for, and then secondly, to even share it. That's that totally is, scary. Because cause once you put yourself out there, out there, you're, there, you're ready for ridicule. You know, you're ready for, for comments and perspectives and, oh, I don't agree with you, I don't believe that. And so it's much easier to, to be pleasant and, and blend in than it is to, to create a stand for who you are and what you stand yeah. for. You know, I think about this one a lot because I, this is one of the areas where I think social media, right? amplifies the i don't agree with your opinion so you know let me hurl abuse at you right kind of spirit and I, you know where i go to is and this is also a meta question is do we have to reach a certain level of cognitive and emotional maturity to be able to handle that narrative because otherwise it can easily turn into a no but that's how i was brought up that's what my parents always told me are you saying my parents were wrong right if you haven't built that ability to self-reflect and build your own value system incrementally over an extended period of time, it could be very dangerous to go there because, I mean, you could shatter your sense of how your universe works. So, you know, I, I think this is where it can get really, really complex. On the other hand, when people do get comfortable with making meta-based decisions, they tend to be more, they tend to be more happier and contented with the choices that they're making in their lives. And that's great. And they just accept that people might not agree with them or care. <laughs> it's okay, right? Yeah. The problem is most of us like to make those meta judgments and then hate the fact that someone else disagrees with us, right? And, and that's a different issue, you know? That's well, a harder issue. Don't you find as you get older, you know, as we're approaching 50, um, you know, you just start... I can't believe to... you said that on you, air. You, you, <laughs> you uh, well, you are. I'm not. <laughs> well, you know, as... as uh... Wait a second. Are you older than me or younger than me? Actually, I'm older than you. Okay, you know? right. but you look way younger than me. So there we good. go. <laughs> um, when you start to to get older, you, especially as you reach your fifties and beyond, you just don't care as much. You know, there is a sense of it's more important to be true to who I am than as be as deeply affected by, you know, the likes on social media or did I get a funny look when I was in that meeting or doing that Zoom call or whatever it might be and. There's definitely shifts in your 40s, and, and I'm pretty sure in our 50s it's going to get even more so, where we're more and more comfortable living true to who we are. And I see that more and more from various 
clients and people at this age range. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think you get more selective about what you care about. Maybe that's, a, that's another way of saying it. Um, you, you've just become better at understanding these are the things that I really, really care about versus things that you might be interested in, but you don't really care that much about. You know, and, and I think it becomes clear, clearer. I think it's much harder. Like I, I feel a lot for people in that superstar performer journey, the, which will typically be your sort of mid-20s, mid-20s to late-20s, maybe early-30s, who are, who are kind of having, who are kind of thrust into so much of all of that kind of overnight without necessarily the operational structure and systemic um, stepping stones along the way. And, it, and that's, I think then it becomes, it, be, it becomes so easy to become very binary. Yeah, that's wrong. You should never do that. You're, you're wrong. That's right. You know, it becomes very binary and adversarial because um, you can jump from, I think that's right, to tactical immediately without really truly appreciating the consequences of what you're saying or how, just how difficult it is to, to create any kind of real systemic change. And, but that's meta. Um, but I, I do think that um, generally when you have meta conversations with people, you will feel like you will feel enriched for having done so. They're, they're memorable moments. They're not, they, they tend not to be easily forgotten. It's like watching a, it's like watching a really good movie as opposed to a, a, you know, just a quick flick that you forget about, you know, afterwards. There's one that, when you have a meta conversation with someone, it's going to stick with you for weeks and you're going to reflect on it. And because it teaches you something about yourself. Yeah, I love that. I think you should give us our challenge, Vicky. Yeah, I will do. But before I do that, I'm just looking at this great quote where life is a story where you choose the path. There are no right or wrong answers, just consequences. Yeah, that's right. Right? I think you could sum up ThinkShift in, in that. We're, we're, we're in the business of helping people get comfortable with the consequences of their choices. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is most of us are not comfortable with, our, with the consequences of our choices. Yeah, you know? I think you're spot on there. Anyway. Yeah. And so it leads me also to share one other idea, which is the things that we care about. It gets more and more important to choose the battles that we want to die on a sword for versus the battles that we should just let others win, as opposed to always being right. I think that's another key tip as we go through this, this segment. All right, so our challenge. Our challenge is the adapt to others challenge. So how do you adapt your thinking levels to others? So part one of the challenge is start to listen. Are they thinking tactically? That's concrete, action-oriented, short feedback loops. Are they thinking operationally, metrics, goals, efficiency, short-term fixes? Are they talking in terms of structure, cross-organizational, cross-team, complex systems and patterns that take years to change? Or are they even talking and thinking systemic? outside in, outside of your organization, looking in across, across the industry, across the world? Or is it more of a values judgment and that's matter? So listen to that and then orientate your language to how they're thinking so that you can match them for where they are. And that's going to take some work. First, even under, identify where they are thinking and secondly, match it. And part two of the challenge is a meta challenge. Take some time, reflect over your, your morning coffee, Reflect, what are you prepared to take a stand for? What do you care deeply enough about that you're prepared to take action on and take a stand for and share your perspective on? And with that, Vips, I think it's time to bid farewell and have a great week, everyone, and be fabulous. <laughs>